Good morning. Woke up to a nice surprise this morning. Hey, you better enjoy it because it won't be around for long. You'll miss it. And then Jesus chose 12. 12 saints. Perfect. Not a fault in character whatsoever. Correct? Well, let's see. There was Simon, who he named Peter. You know that Peter, who was so cocksure of himself all the time. And let's see. There was James and John. Jesus referred to them as the sons of thunder. And it wasn't because they could divine reign, if you know what I mean. And let's see, there was Matthew, the tax collector, who was the lowest of the low in society's eyes. Actually, it was, uh, in Roman times, it was legalized extortion. Whatever he could get extra, he could keep. Let's see, there was Simon, who was referred to as the zealot, meaning he had some rather strong political leanings that would put the tea partiers of our day to shame. And there was Thaddeus and Bartholomew, whoever they were. And let's see, Thomas, yes, Thomas the doubter. I won't believe until I see it, Thomas. And there was Peter's brother, Peter's brother Andrew, and, and there was Philip, and James, another James, sometimes referred to James the, the lesser. Why? I don't know. Was he short? Less powerful? I don't know. And then, last but not to be taken least, was Judas, the traitor. Whom, as I understand it, Jesus didn't or, you know, because any group wouldn't be complete without a businessman, you know, a kind of take charge kind of guy, a hire and fire type of guy, a guy with clout in society's eyes, and by the way, he could do the books. So Judas, you're in. So these are the 12 that Jesus chose to start his church. Yes, 12 saints or a better description might be the dirty dozen because that's what they were and before we condemn them and criticize them too much let's remember that they were people a lot like you if I may say so and a lot like me too that is to say they were human beings Jesus made his church out of human beings with more or less the same mixture of intelligence and stupidity, of selfishness and generosity, of cowardice and guts, of openness of heart and sheer cussedness as you would be apt to find in any one of us today. And the reason he made his church out of human beings is because human beings were all there was to make the church out of. And in fact, as far as I know, human beings are all there is to make from it still. And that is a point worth remembering. It is also a point worth remembering that even after Jesus made these human beings into a church, they seem to have gone right on being human beings. It's hard to believe, isn't it? 
Even these people that were in contact with Jesus personally, who Jesus was their friend. They sat at his feet and they listened to him speak. They were with him and they trounced around the countryside with him. They witnessed his miracles, but not even all that turned them into saints. They kept on being as human as they'd always had been with most of the same strengths and most of the same weaknesses. And finally, when it comes to remembering things, we do well to keep in mind that the idea of becoming the church wasn't their idea. It was Jesus' idea. It was Jesus who made them a church. They didn't come together the way like-minded people come together to form a club. They didn't come together the way a group of men might come together to form a basketball team or a baseball team. No, they came together because Jesus called them to come together. That is what the Greek word ecclesia means, from which we get our word church. It means those who have been called out the way the original 12 were called out of fishing or tax collecting or running a kosher restaurant or whatever they were doing at the time. It's like one day somebody calls your name. Or you hear somebody say, this way, follow me. You know, some decisions take time, don't they? I mean, most decisions take time. Maybe it's just me, but every time I want to decide something, I think I try to think it through. What are the repercussions of doing this or doing that? I want to buy something. Should I buy it here? Should I buy it there? What color? But you know, some decisions are spontaneous. It's like your whole life has been leading up to that decision. And so when the opportunity comes, you just do it. Like I said, someone calls your name. Someone says, follow me. So you set down your pencil, you push aside your tax forms, you get up, you walk over to the water cooler, grab your coat and hat, And you head out the door without even punching out. That's the way I think it happened to Matthew. Or it's like a rainy day, a gray rainy day, when all of a sudden the sun comes out and there's a beautiful rainbow. And everybody stops to take a look at it. They lay down their fishing nets. They lay down their golf clubs, their newspapers, and they gaze at the sky. Because what is happening up there is so marvelous they can't help themselves. Something like that, I think, is the way that these 12 men, Matthew names, were called to become a church. Plus Mary and Martha and Joanna and all the other men and women who somehow became a part of it too. One way or another, Christ called them. That's how it happened. They saw the marvel of him arc across the grayness of things. The grayness of their own lives, perhaps. Of life itself. They heard his voice calling their names and they went. You know, while some of them dedicated their lives to Jesus, a few dedicated their lives, most of them pretty much went right on doing whatever they had been doing before. 
which means that he didn't so much call them out of their ordinary lives as he called them out of believing that ordinary life is ordinary. He called them to see that no matter how ordinary life is, it's actually extraordinary. The kingdom of God is at hand, is the way he put it. And that's the way he told it to put it to others. Life, even in its most monotonous and backbreaking and heart-numbing, has the kingdom of God buried in it the way a field has a treasure buried in it, he said. The kingdom of God is as close to us as some precious keepsake we've been looking for for years, which is lying just in the next room under the rug, all but crying out for us to come and find it. If we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God, in the sense of holiness and goodness and beauty, is as close to us as breathing and is crying out for us to find it. The kingdom of God is what we all hunger for above all other things. Even when we don't know its name, or realize that that is what we're starving for. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from. It's where our truest prayers come from. We catch a glimpse of it, those moments when we find ourselves being better than what we are, or wiser than we know. We catch sight of it at some moment of crisis when a strength seems to come over us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. Whether we realize it or not. And I think we are, we are all a little homesick for it. A fat man drives by in his Chevy pickup with a cigarette in his mouth, and on his rear bumper, a sticker that says, Jesus loves you. There's a shotgun slung across the back window. He is not a stranger we've never seen before and couldn't care less if we ever see again. No, he is our brother. He is our father. He is our son. It is true that we've never seen him before and that we'll probably never see him again. Just one quick glimpse as he goes by at 25 miles an hour because he's in a school zone. But if we somehow fully realize the truth of that, fully understand that this is the one and only time we will ever see him, we will treasure that one and only time the way we treasure the rainbow in the sky. Or the ring we finally found under the rug after years of looking for. The old woman with thick glasses, that's holding us up in the checkout line. She is our mother. She is our sister. She is our child grown old. And once we know that, once we see her for who she truly is, everything about her becomes precious. You know, the skinny back of her neck, the way she puts her hand over her mouth when she laughs. These are not ordinary people any more than life is ordinary. These are extraordinary people. Life is extraordinary. And the extraordinariness of it is that what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. 
the extraordinariness of it is that in the kingdom of God, we all belong to each other the way families do. We are all of us brothers and sisters in it. We are all of us mothers and fathers and children to each other in it because that is what we are called together as a church to be. That is what being the church means. We are called by God to love each other the way Jesus says that God has loved us. That is the good news about God, the gospel, which he came to proclaim. Loving each other, loving God, and God loving us is what the kingdom is. No scientific truth, no great truth about it. When you can think of a hundred reasons not to do so. It means praying to him even when you don't feel like it. It means watching for him in the beauty and sadness. And loving each other doesn't mean loving each other in some sentimental, unrealistic, grief nail and get fed up to hear with each other and belong to each other and that they need each other and they can't imagine what life would be other. And Thomas the doubter Simon the zealot and Judas the traitor, Mary Magdalene and Lazarus' sister Martha, and the old woman, and you and I are their family, and each other's family, because that is what us as a church to be. Our happiness is all mixed up with each other's happiness, and our be complete until we find some way of sharing it with people who the way things are now have no peace. Jesus calls us to show this truth forth, live forth, be life givers to each other. That is what Jesus tells the disciples to be. That is what Jesus tells the church to be. He says, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. That is what loving things like that, then it is being what Jesus told it to be. If it is not doing things like that, simple as that. You ever notice there's some believe and have faith no matter what happens to them? Yeah, where they get it or beyond them that gives them that faith, that hope. But then there are others who have been pushed too far. They have seen terrible things, awful things. So awful that they can't believe anymore. I like watching... C-SPAN on TV. Uh, During the weekend, they show authors. Anyway, they had this gentleman who was a child and survived the Holocaust, went through Auschwitz and all these, told his story. Fascinating. He's such a nice man. At the end, someone in the audience asked him, seeing he was Jewish, how his experience had affected his faith. He says, I do not believe in a personal God. He said, I can't. After everything I've seen, he says, I just can't believe if there is a God that he would allow something like that to happen. See, some people have been pushed too far. They need help. They need help a helping hand to believe once again. He said, I wish I could believe. I'm happy for those who do, but I can't. 
the old woman with the thick glasses that's holding us up in the checkout line, well, she has cancer. Cancer is a sickness that you, that you and I cannot heal. But that's not her only sickness. Her other sickness is she's lonely and scared. And in some ways, that sickness is worse than the, than the other. Sometimes she wakes up in the middle of the night and just thinks about it and wishes she had somebody she could talk to. She went shopping to take her mind off of it. Sometimes she wishes she could just go to the movies and have someone to share her popcorn with. Heal her, Jesus says. The fat man in the pickup is his granddaughter. 15 years old. She suffered from depression. She was being bullied at school. So she killed herself. It was his wife who put the Jesus loves you sticker on his bumper. The way he sees it, if you don't believe in God anymore, it doesn't matter. It make much difference whether Jesus loves you or not. If God can let things happen to people like what happened to his granddaughter, then what is the point of believing in God? Raise him, Jesus says. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, Jesus tells the disciples. That is the work he sets to us. In other words, we are to be, above all else, healers. And that means, of course, that we are also to be healed. Because God knows you and I are in as much need of healing as anybody else. And being healed and healing go hand in hand. God knows we have our own demons to be cast out. Our own uncleanness to be cleansed. This subject means so much to me is because I I was one of them that gave up. I don't like to talk about it. It's an ugly time in my life. But I gave up. But that wouldn't leave even though I told her to. A friend that went out of his way day after day. But as I think back, there was others. A phone call, which I just thought was a phone call. At the time, but now I look back, it was no, it was somebody reaching out with a phone call. Or I remember another instance where somebody was impressed that something was wrong and came to our house. My wife started crying. She said she just took me up to the hospital for the third time. He came up to visit me, saw me in all my ugliness, told me, encouraging words while I babbled and babbled and babbled for two hours. I wouldn't be here in front of you today if it wasn't for those people because I gave up. I heard a story of a man that was going through similar circumstances. His life fell apart. When one day he got a phone call. It was from somebody he knew, an acquaintance, didn't know him very well, that lived 800 miles away in North Carolina. 
The man said, I understand you're going through some difficult times. And he says, yes, how's the weather down there? He says, well, actually, I'm only 20 minutes away. I'm up at an inn. I thought you might could use a visitor. The man came 800 miles and didn't even know the gentleman that well. And he didn't tell him he was coming. So for all he knew, when he got up there, the man wouldn't even be home. But he was. They visited. They spent a couple days together. They had a few meals together. They took walks together. And the man says, you know, we never, Christ never ever came up in our conversation. But he says, but for a little time, we both of us touched the hem of Christ's garment. And he says, and for a little while, both of us were healed. See, we are called to be Christ to each other like that, I think. Like Peter, like Thomas, like the Marys and Joanna. We are called to be not just human beings, but human beings open to the possibility of being transformed by the grace of God as it comes to us, who knows how or when. When you feel impressed to do something, do it. Don't rely on somebody else. Don't think somebody else is going to do it. When God impresses you to do something for someone, do it. You are to be a rainbow arced against the grayness of life. Somebody calling on the phone just 20 minutes down the road, you say, Good God, you must be crazy. And that is just it, of course. We are called to be crazy exactly like that. We are called by the good God to be the hands and feet and heart of Christ to each other. The church buildings, the budgets, the nominating committees, the church boards, that all came later. The different churches, Catholic, Baptist, Seventh-day Adventist, that all came later. Priests, pastors, all of us getting dressed up in our best clothes for Sabbath services, that all came later. So did the Bible study groups and the rummage sales. So did the preachers. You know, the ones on TV who make you sick to your stomach with their phoniness. And the ones closer to home who proclaim a faith that rarely seems to have anything to do with their own real-to-day lives in this world or with mine. But yet, once in a while, through their words, I hear the word of God touch my heart. That all came later. Sometimes I think the best thing that could happen to the church is is for a big tidal wave to come and just wipe them all out. The church buildings all tumbling, the church money all lost, the church bulletins blowing in the air like leaves. The differences between preachers and congregations, the power struggles, the politics, all washed away too. Then all we would have left would be each other and Christ. 
which was all there was in the first place. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Which means that in the world now, Jesus is each other. Heal the sick and be healed. Raise the dead and be raised. Everything that matters comes out of doing these things. Doing those things is what the church is, and when it doesn't do those things, it doesn't matter much what else it does. Preach as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus told his disciples. Be the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is with a lovely, faithful lady whose life seems empty and worthless and not worth living anymore because she has lost her only child. Is with a family with two little kids whose father has just had a tumor removed the size of a football. The kingdom of heaven is with a man who's had multiple head surgeries and just had another one. The kingdom of heaven is with a lady who prays earnestly for her husband to be converted and is facing financial problems. The kingdom of heaven is only 20 minutes down the road, for Christ's sake. The kingdom of heaven is in the checkout line as the old lady picks up her bags to leave. The kingdom of heaven is there as a fat man goes driving by in his pickup with a bumper sticker he can't believe in. The kingdom of heaven is in the eyes of love and longing and blessing that we raise to look at him through as he is, as if he is a rainbow in the sky. Dear Heavenly Father, we have a hard heart. But continue to work with us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Help us to feel your leading in our daily lives. Help help us to look around in our daily lives. To see what you want us to see and heal who you want us to hands and feet and heart. We pray this for your sake and for your glory and for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.